Welcome back, Poison Pals, to another episode. Today is Harini's turn to tell us a story. And uh, I just want to say thank you, Harini, for telling us your story today. Because actually, this episode was originally supposed to be my turn telling a story. But I dropped the ball on multiple levels. And also, the topic that I was planning on talking about I don't want to um, discourage you from listening later, but it honestly became so dry for me when I was researching it that I just had to take a break. So uh, yeah, you can look forward to that eventually when I finish doing my research on that said topic. But uh, today is Harini's turn. (laughs) So actually, it all worked out because I had copy and pasted the story like months ago and then I just got overwhelmed by how long it was and that's the, really the only reason I skipped doing it because I was like this is, this is a lot of homework so, and, uh, even though a lot of my other episodes are just as long and actually more work because I have to like pull the sources this is just one source that all the homework's already done for me but I think I just got overwhelmed by how much reading there was <laughs> right it's a it was a dense source so yeah. so you went through what I'm going through presently but it ended up uh, working out in my favor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I pushed through. I pushed yeah, through. The I appreciate that. I'll yeah. push through for the next one. If you, if you, it'll be a cycle. If you yeah. get into another story that you're like, oh, this is so dry and dense, and I yeah. can't. Hopefully, this I is, can. Um, this is my get out of jail free card. For yes, next time. that's true. I owe you. I owe I'm gonna you big do it time. when you least suspect it. It's gonna oh, be God. like. <laughs> 30 minutes before I'm supposed to record. I'm like, Megan, it's your turn. All right. Okay. Go. I'll start prepping backups upon backups. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Anyways, well, this story is, um, oh my God. I don't even remember the name of the episode now, but it was the episode about the neighbor in Texas. Do you remember this? <laughs> it was the story I did. Um, I, I, no, um, I remember the Texas one that was Arsenic written one? in the yeah, it was written in the Texas Monthly. It was written Texas famous, Monthly, famous famous news, um, very famous magazine. It was the one about like it was like very rear window <clears throat> of the neighbor telling this. It was like from the perspective of the neighbor, and I was like, Megan, I want you to figure yes. out who did it by the end. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Is this a continuation of that? No, 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 no. But it is another article from Texas Monthly by oh, okay. the same journalist, amazing gotcha. crime writer, Skip Hollingsworth. Right. Um, okay. So it's another one of his stories. And is it, it's real? <laughs> like, it's real. It's, it's real. Did, did Skip experience this? Yeah. Himself? So he went, no, what? it's not like, it's no, 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 no. He's okay. not the neighbor. He's not okay. the neighbor. He's the journalist reporting on Covering the it. news. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why was it? I was like, damn, Skip, I don't know what lifestyle you lead, but how, like, I was trying I'm, to poison you. Yeah. I'm like, you're lucky that all these things happen. That's like helping you write. These I know. Stories. Okay. That's so, that's like a running joke that me and my parents mm-hmm. have that whenever we watch some of those, like, uh, you know, British crime series that are yeah. always taking place in like, the most beautiful, idyllic British right. villages, right? With right. thatched roofs and all of the things, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. my dad always jokes, like, it's always like an older lady or an older man who's just like tending to their gardens and then mm-hmm. people are dropping dead around them like flies and they're like, right. oh, time to come out of retirement, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah. my dad always jokes like, oh, you know, so maybe 
like he, I don't know what the joke is, but I can't remember now. But he's basically like they need to like reevaluate their lives because everywhere they go, there's murders or something like that. Right. But it's true. It's just like this is the most pristine, serene British village, quaint village, and all these people are suddenly dying as soon as this person moves into the area. Right. Convenient. Convenient. Yeah. It's it's either they need to reevaluate what energy they're they're bringing or they are the killer themselves (laughs) exactly exactly so which is it okay (laughs) so back to texas outside let's get out of england let's go back to texas so this is uh from a while ago it was reported on in august of 1991 so we were not even a thought perhaps in our parents minds And it was a Monday. (laughs) It was a Monday in early April. Okay. It was a Monday in early April. And it's in Houston. So it's humid. It is hot. It is humid. Mm. It is hot. H-Town. H-Town. Peace up. Oh, that's (laughs) A-Town. Peace up. H-Town hottie. (laughs) So good. All right. Um, right. H-Town is Atlanta, right? A-Town? I, like, I don't know. I... By Usher? Doon, doon, oh, doon, yeah, doon. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had to take it, take me back because I was like, yeah. I have not heard A Town in back. a while in a song. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's true. All right. Enough of that. God, we're loopy again. <laughs> yep. So, <it's> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's a Monday in April in Houston. An eminent cell biologist, Dr. Barry Van Winkle, was not happy because the humidity always gave him a stuffy nose. You know it's going to be a good story when the person's <laughs> name is Van Winkle. I know. He just needs to take out the berry and put a rip. Rip Van Winkle. Uh, <laughs> he didn't have time. The reason why he was pissed was because he didn't have time to deal with all of that because he had a very important paper to finish for the Journal of Histochemistry and Cytochemistry hmm. and an experiment to perform involving a heart cell membrane. Damn. Okay. Smart guy, smart stuff. Okay, I don't Van understand. Winkle. All right. Like, forget. <laughs> is that Rip Van Winkle is a guy that, like, moves time or something? I don't even remember. <sighs> He's like the oldest man in the world. I don't even know. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Let me research my Aesop fables real quick. I love Is that even, even where it's from? I don't I don't know, actually. Okay. I'm thinking Ooh, of Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> that Rumpelstiltskin is 100% um, an Aesop fable. <laughs> yes. I, I'm confusing it, too. Okay. Real quick, just to, to kill this. Rip Van Winkle is a short story by American author Washington Irving. Published Ooh. in 1819, it's about a Dutch-American villager in colonial America who meets a mysterious Dutchman, imbibes their liquor, and falls asleep in the Catskill Mountains. Sounds like a life. Wow, <laughs> He's that's just amazing. chilling out in the Catskills. Um, so there we go. Let's, What's let's, the point let's... of that? Yeah, I don't know if there's a, a moral of the story, but I, it's, <laughs> it's, beyond, it's besides the point. I don't want to take away okay, sorry, from... Sorry, sorry. From Mr. Other Van focus, Winkle. Focus. Yeah. Scientist. Mr. Other Van, Van Winkle. Van Winkle, the scientist. Okay. So as soon as he parks his car, he makes a beeline for his office in the small one-story building of the Cryobiology Research Center nice. at the University of Texas Health Science Center. He goes straight to his office, like I said, and, where he keeps a bottle of Afrin nasal spray. Hmm. Megan, I don't know if you have nasal issues, but I do. <laughs> so do you use nasal sprays? No, and that's okay. why I have nasal issues. <laughs> 
I use tissues for my issues. I love it. <laughs> um, clearly, um, I have nasal problems. I always have a nasally voice, but yeah. that is beyond mm-hmm. the point. I'm not saying yeah, like I'm confirming. I'm like, I'm listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, so nasal sprays, I mean, they're a dime a dozen that you can mm-hmm. get over the counter at your local whatever. Um, and Afrin is a brand name of a nasal spray. Very okay. gen- like run of the mill. Okay. Yeah, right. It's like on par with your eye drops. Like you just mm, sniff it. All right. Right. So the research center is basically in the middle of a forest, a very thickly wooded forest known as the research forest, which sounds really nice. wonderful, to be honest. Yeah. That's so, cool. It is cool. It is cool. When you look out the windows, you just see like a nice forest landscape, which is nice. Oh, that this just shows I know nothing about H Town. Why did I not expect there to be a forest there? I'm sorry, H Town hotties. <laughs> Y'all living in the forest, and I was thinking you're living in the desert. That's, That's what totally I said. unfair of me. But to yeah. be fair, but to be fair, I did when I rolled up to Dallas for work. I was mm-hmm. told by one of my co fellows who had lived in Texas for a while. He's like it's flat. There's nothing around. It's just flat. That's why you can see for miles and miles and miles because there's no mountains. There's not really right. like, anything out there. Right. So that's why I had that in my head. But apparently there's this beautiful forest in Houston. Okay. okay. All right. So this forest is akin to the Baskerville area in Sherlock where they conduct all kinds of mysterious lab experiments. This is from a resident who lives nearby. He says, quote, we never have any idea what they do over there. Every time we see something strange in the backyard, like a squirrel without a tail, we say, uh-oh, here comes another experiment for research forest. <laughs> At least they have a humor about it. Yeah. When Dr. Van Winkle, I'm just going to call him Barry because that's his first name. Barry. Barry okay. Although I love Van Winkle, it's hard for me to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to say Barry. There's like, The V and the W is just too close together. I got you. I okay. got you. So when Barry went into the building, he said a quick hello to his secretary, Lily, walks into his office and inhales a quick little squirt of the Afrin on his desk. Okay. From down the hall, Lily hears a sharp cry when Barry, and then she sees Barry rush to the bathroom and he cries out that he snorted something up his nose that felt like battery acid. Oh, yeah. Terrible. There was an explosive burning sensation and a sharp pungent smell. being a scientist barry washed out his nose and performed a ph test on the afrin it was highly acidic yet when he used it last week it was perfectly fine Hmm. this is the story of the afrin affair a classic whodunit but also about the high stakes world of research and scientists hmm all right i get it some competition in the the research forest. Right? Yes. Sabotage. Sabotages. Yeah. yeah. Uh so very similar to the last Texas Monthly case that we covered. Megan, I do want you to collect the clues and listeners do collect the clues and let me know do you think this person did it? And by I'm this so person, excited. I mean the person I will introduce later. Sure, sure. I love these. Okay, <laughs> listeners, let's hold hands and we'll go in together. <laughs> let's go into the research force together. We're going together. <laughs> I did a little right. kick with my shoes. Just yeah, I was I like swinging. Called. I was swinging my left arm like I'm holding someone's hand. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and it's just Lieutenant with his paw. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my cat's paw. Where is okay. Lieutenant? He's not around to listen. 
Nah, he's chilling on the floor. You're like, let him stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Can't have that. All right. So that same day, Barry takes the bottle of Afrin and goes straight to the University of Texas Health Science Center department or the administration there because any crime that happens on that campus has to get handled by the university police. Mm -hmm. So the police take the Afrin bottle. They say that we're going to do some toxicology tests, but the results will not come back for several days. Barry is not satisfied with this turnaround time. So he Mm. goes back to his office to make a call, but he immediately drops the phone because there's something sticky on the receiver. He recognizes the smell instantly. It's the same pungent odor that was in the Afrin bottle. Damn. Okay. He calls in his secretary, Lily, in a panic and says, my God, it's the same stuff. So Mm. now he's thinking like, what the hell? Like, is this a prank or is someone stalking me? Like, what the heck is going on? A few days later, Barry starts start to open the door to his office. And when a, with a muffled cry, he pulls his hand away and Lily comes running. There on the door now, there's a fresh coat of the same substance. What in the... Weird. Someone's trying to home alone him. <laughs> There's a child in that office trying to home alone him. A a small, tiny child science ghost. (laughs) He's like, you're not scary. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm thinking, like, honestly, when he says, like, oh, like, I put down the receiver, I put, I, it was on the doorknob. I am thinking of, like, maple syrup or something. Yeah. I I also pictured something kind of sticky. But yeah. when you mentioned it on the door, it almost sounded like it burned. But yeah. I guess like, I don't I don't know. Probably just something, the texture. Yeah. Yeah. Something sticky can be burny. I can imagine. It can be both. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like hot, sy- hot, hot syrup. You ever, hot you ever syrup. make like, yeah. Like yeah. when you're, when you boil sugar, mm-hmm. that shit is sugar. lava. Oh, it is. Don't it touch like it. Lava. Don't, don't mm-hmm. touch it. Don't try to put your finger in it thinking you're going to lick some delicious sweet sugar. No, it is hot as glass. <laughs> Melted <laughs> glass. It is literally. You're, you're blowing glass at that point. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't touch Anyways, it. That's, that's just a side tip. Yeah. Don't touch melted sugar when it's boiling. Anyway, for real, for real. Moving okay. forward. <laughs> so he's just like, what in the actual fuck? <laughs> like, what's going on, man? So the university police tell Barry that there's nothing here to investigate. Again, Barry is not satisfied, as he should be. So he decides mm-hmm. to start investigating himself. And Barry does find something. He comes across this canvas bag that he's never seen before. And what's inside gives him a bit of a shock. There were books inside the bag titled The Poisoner's Handbook, Hitman, mm. and Silent Death. Oh, <laughs> the ultimate trio. Okay. Holy Trinity of poison. Right, right. Okay. okay. Further inside the bag, Barry finds two hazard sheets from Sigma Chemical Company for the chemicals D9 isofluorophosphate or otherwise known as DFP, and beta-propiolactone. Barry has heard of DFP. DFP is a highly toxic chemical that is an irreversible uh, anticholinesterase used in Mm. medicine. Actually, I'm not familiar if it's still used in medicine, but it says it was used for glaucoma. But it's mostly known as a neurotoxin used in chemical warfare. Actually, Mm. it's often mixed with mustard gas. Mm, Okay. But... 
people when you think of dfp you're like oh that's used for chemical warfare it might have some uses in medicine in terms of like a lab setting like maybe to mix it with other reagents but Mm -hmm. it definitely was alarming to say the least that he saw that right but the beta propiolactone barry has never heard of this Hmm. neither have i barry (laughs) neither have i Same boat. All right. Barry goes to the lab's fridge and he looks at the chemicals that are there. Among hundreds of vials and containers, he sees an open bottle of beta propiolactone and also an open unopened bottle of DFP. I think that's what's hmm. supposed to say opened. But yeah. Okay. There were also two tightly sealed unopened bottles that contain tetrodotoxin, one of Mm. the most toxic compounds on this planet. So we did talk about this toxin before. Megan, you did an episode on this. Mm -hmm. But if you're just joining us today, tetrodotoxin is uh, the main toxin found in puffer fish. Mm -hmm. And to give you a quick idea, because this is not what the story is about. This is not the poison. But just to Mm. give you a quick idea, a human who ingests less than a milligram of tetrodotoxin, that's about the size of a grain of pepper, okay? Mm -hmm that person will die within 30 minutes. So incredibly, incredibly potent and deadly. Mm. So Barry at this point is terrified looking at the fridge. He's like, what? (laughs) Like, I didn't know this was in the fridge. So DFP and tetrodotoxin have legit research uses, Mm. but not in this lab. Barry's thinking to himself. Right, right. At that point, this is all coming from him, quote, that I admit scared the shit out of me. Mm Mm-hmm. So Barry withdraws a sample of the beta propiolactone and he takes it to the UT police headquarters. Mm. He tells the officers that he suspected it was a substance that was in the Afrin bottle. And more than a week later, the, the lab tests come back and results were positive for beta propiolactone in the Afrin bottle. Mm. Okay. Beta propiolactone is a chemical normally used in controlled experiments to sterilize bacteria. And the chemical does come with a warning. It had been found to cause cancer in animals, and humans were warned not to ingest it or even let it touch your skin. Mm. Oh, okay. Barry did both. (laughs) Barry did (laughs) both. Now it's time to figure out who the hell did this to him. Yeah, he has nose cancer now, so. (laughs) Oh, my God. And we all know the nose goes straight to your brain. Right. So that's no good. No bueno. No bueno. Shoot. Mm-hmm. So the inescapable truth was that there were only three people working in the cryobiology center oh, at that time. So, Santa. I mean, just the power of deduction is in his favor. Yeah. It was himself. I don't think he poisoned himself. Lily, the secretary and the executive director, Dr. John Linner, a brilliant man who achieved worldwide fame for inventing a machine that for the first time, allowed some human cells to be studied in minute detail. I don't know what Mm. any of that means, but good for him. That's so, this is kind of fun because the world that this ties into is Mm -hmm. currently what is the job that I work in currently. I was literally having those thoughts as I was reading out loud. It's kind of cool, actually. Going back to our two suspects, secretary (laughs) or a well-known high-achieving cryo- I don't know, biologist, cryo EM, yeah. cryobiologist mm-hmm. person. Or the ghost, the science, little or the, ghost. or the child ghost from the forest. I'm laughing because it is comical how you how you stacked the, the secretary to the, the other guy. It was like, you got Lily the secretary, and then you got this person with all these accredited, like all this like high achievement 
I feel like they're in cahoots. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That's a great theory. But uh, yeah. Anyways. I like that. Okay. I don't want to guess and guess right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, girl. That's right. I love Let confidence. it be a surprise. <laughs> So, okay. So that's, that's who we have that we're working with here. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, John Leonard wasn't at work that day when Barry took a sniff sniff. Mm. So that makes mm. things a little, I mean, in Barry's eyes, he's like, that's suspicious. So it Barry, is. he's confident that he was poisoned. So he goes to the police and the school ad- admin and says, I was poisoned. And I believe I was poisoned by Dr. John Leonard. Mm. So John Linner and Barry Van Winkle couldn't be more different. Both were exactly 46 years old. Both were majored in zoology in college mm-hmm. and liked to tinker with electron microscopes. But that's mm-hmm. about where the similarity ends. Okay. Barry looks like the VP of a Fortune 500 company rather than a research scientist. He was a trim, handsome dude with green, gray eyes, extroverted, and had this beautiful newscaster baritone voice. I mean, if your last name's Van Winkle, you can't be any other way. <laughs> That's true. You gotta, you gotta own that last name. Unless so. you're Rip Van Winkle, you gotta be bring <laughs> it to the table, <laughs> right? Then you're an old man in the cat skills. <laughs> Drinking some weird concoction that someone yeah. gave to you on the road. <laughs> Whatever right, the moral so... of that story is. Okay. When he walked into the room, he exuded confidence. And the way I like to think about it, it he is giving me Brendan Fraser from the mummy vibes with wire rim glasses, an mm. Oxford shirt, some mm. khakis and penny loafers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tweed. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it, love it, <sighs> love that. Man, I'm gonna watch the Mummy tonight. <laughs> I know. I'll put some Brendan Fraser on right now, <laughs> dude. And then watch Tarzan after that. Oh, no, yes. George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle. Of the jungle. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. Oh, how could I forget? Okay. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> John Linner, on the other hand, was magnificently strange. He mm. was a huge guy, six foot five and 300 pounds. Oh, His standard damn. work uniform was Birkenstock sandals, golf shirts, and a baseball cap. And uh, since I gave you uh, a, a guy to think about, so I told you Brendan Fraser for The Mummy, right, this right. guy is giving you George R.R. R. Martin vibes. Hmm. But six five, you said 300 pounds? 300 pounds but like in terms of like his dress like the way sure, he, sure. yeah his, i was like, like that's ex- proportional eccentricity you know? not the proportions probably right, not the right. proportions but and maybe the way like he dresses he's yeah. a little bit eccentric yeah i <clears throat> oh god i work okay because i was gonna, I was gonna break it down like my no, opinions yeah. let me finish the <laughs> okay. character sure assassination sure. and then i can <laughs> you say i can analyze yes yeah okay okay he kept gummy bears in his office for snackies and during lunch he'd sometimes race remote control cars in the parking lot he collected kites did who collects kites dude i'm going to a kite festival this saturday i have two kites (laughs) (laughs) oh man me and this uh, what's his name dr litter what's his name dr litter Uh, he's my guy i'm sorry i'm sorry uh brendan Brendan. fraser looking guy I chose the other one. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny! So he collects kites and did chili cook-off so much so that oh, people called man. him Doctor Chili, and he would oh. often bring his sheepdog to the lab with him. 
Okay, okay. I'm done. That's, all that's right, it. all right. I gotta say, you presented me two very appealing gentlemen. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna put that out there. They both are something that I'm just like, okay, I can, I can fuck around. <laughs> you're, you're on that show. What is that? Netflix? Love is Blind. Love is Love Blind. Love is Blind, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Who, who would I, you choose? I think the only thing I'd um, potentially want to eliminate is the golf shirt situation. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mind Birkenstocks. It's fine. Dude, he's comfy. comfy. He's comfy cash. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Oh, I do like he's always ready with snacks. Like, that's important. Yeah, yeah. He likes food. He likes, he likes chili. Food. He can cook. That means he can cook. Flying his kites. About it. He's as fly as a kite, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. So that's those are our two main characters of the story. So. All right. <sighs> but the you biggest difference. Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, what, my last analysis. You know, we we gave Brendan Fraser as the equivalent for <laughs> Doctor Van Winkle. Yeah. For Doctor Linner, I'm honestly picturing like a Jason Siegel energy, and I fucking love Jason okay. Siegel. That's what I'm getting. Okay. Yeah. Getting. Okay. I can see that. I can see that. I'm fine with that description. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking for a second. Like when I was doing the story and like going through and kind of editing it down, mm-hmm. I. I was getting hungry because every time I would write Dr. Linner's name, I couldn't just help thinking like Linner is just lunch and dinner. <laughs> and I was like, that's I probably why hear I your voice. food. <laughs> I can hear your voice typing in your head and you're like, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm like, Linner is just lunch and dinner put together. <laughs> I love it. Uh, like not focus on the story whatsoever. Okay. Anyways, back to, back to the real thing. So, the biggest dif- but the biggest difference between them was how they played the brutal game of academic science. The science world is rough with universities pushing their scientists to constantly do more research, gather in more grants and funding and publish papers. Mm. At a prestigious university like University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston, the success of the institution really depends on the government grants to fund its scientists' research. If a scientist wants to prove themselves there, which they all do, they have to prove it So by coming up with the kinds of glamorous research projects that will bring in that cash money. Mm-hmm. Barry was adept at playing this game, though, and he was an author at this point of nearly 50 papers, and he was a major early player on in the field of heart cell research. Hmm. He was an innovator for new techniques in studying the heart membrane, and he was a huge, huge success at HSC to nab Barry from their previous university at Alabama. So he was previously working somewhere else. He had hmm. made such a name for himself. So University of Texas was like, we want him. And they were yeah. lucky enough to get him. Barry was also a hot commodity because of his wife. Not surprising. Okay, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Jeannie McMillan is a world-renowned researcher in biochemistry, more famous, in fact, than her husband. Hmm. When Barry accepted his position at UT, his wife was granted tenure shortly afterwards. It was this perfect two-for-one deal for UT, and they became this envious power couple. Yeah. But that's all we say about her. She doesn't come up in the story. (laughs) Poor Jeannie. (laughs) Just backstory on her. Yeah. John Linner, some would say, on the other hand, was scattered, eccentric, and erratic. <laughs> Poor guy. He drew outside of the lines and didn't really abide to the rules in academic science whatsoever. Okay. And right. what I mean by that is he rarely wrote papers. He did not apply for grants. and He would not even do the research he had been hired to do. Interesting. Okay. Yet he came up with an invention that could potentially revolutionize biological research and became, in the process, 
a total darling of the Health Science Center. Right. Interesting. To quote Game of Thrones, Barry and John were both <laughs> climbing the chaos of ladder, and it was inevitable that they would one day clash. <laughs> but no one would, could have predicted it would lead to <laughs> attempted murder. So Skip Hollingsworth was able to interview John Linner, and per standard uniform, he was in sandals, a golf tee, and some shorts. All right. <laughs> John says, quote, it's a mystery to me. I've tried to think of some way that it could have happened, talking about the poisoning, and mm -hmm. then his voice just kind of trails off. To those who know John Linner well as a person, they knew him as a man who would leave chocolates on his co-workers' desks and turn on the TV in the garage at night so his dog wouldn't feel lonely. So to get arrested for attempted murder was beyond them. Right. They, his friends are quoting him saying, an eccentric, but a harmless eccentric, a teddy bear or a gentle giant. One scientist called him fondly a sort of baby Huey, always a little naive. I don't know what a baby <laughs> Huey is. This was in the 90s, right? Yeah, 91. Sure <laughs> LT's just like, Huey. I'm going to pop right in front of the camera right now. <laughs> oh, you got to look up baby Huey. It's a giant duck in um, diapers oh. and a bonnet. I'm assuming that's the baby Huey they're referencing. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting thing to be called out for. Okay. So yeah, sort of baby Huey, always a little naive. Not only that, but John Leonard was a little bit absent-minded. He often couldn't recall names of friends or important dates. It was comically impossible for him to talk in non-scientific language as well. The one thing that John was clear on was his innocence. Linner liked Barry. He had zero desire to see Barry dead or even hurt for that matter. So the question remains, if John Linner did try to kill Barry, would he have used beta propiolactone? I mean, like if you think about it, they're biochemists, biologists, biochemists. They have extensive knowledge, especially this guy. He's He might be a little bit like a nonconformist, but he's incredibly mm -hmm. smart. So right. there's so many chemicals he knows of. Like, would he choose this one to do the mm -hmm. to do the job? I don't know. Chemical experts confirm that beta propiolactone, when mixed with water, because Afrin is more than ninety percent water, the beta propiolactone will quickly deteriorate. <laughs> what? I'm laughing because I'm like, damn, we need to do an episode on like nasal sprays or like <laughs> you know drugs over the counter yeah Dr uh drug products or whatever because yeah. you just said it's 90 percent water i'm like are you telling me if i were to buy a nasal spray i'm just shooting water up my nose and i know oh, that's yeah. not the case but i'm like damn uh someone's ripping me off mm -hmm. <laughs> that afrin depending on the price that's how you know like if the price is cheaper that's how much water there is oh god i'm kidding this I don't thing know. is 50 cents 100 percent water, water. <laughs> Uh, it's a neti pot actually <laughs> to bring your own water to the product right damn all okay. right fair <laughs> enough fair enough so yeah it's over 90 percent water <laughs> and absurd <laughs> when mixed with water the beta propiolactone it will quickly deteriorate it loses its toxicity and turns into acid. Mm. Linner could have used any one of dozens of highly toxic chemicals around the lab. Beta propiolactin was probably the one chemical in the lab guaranteed not to kill Barry. Mm. So why would he do that? <laughs> mm. 
Barry himself even admitted that him and John had no hostility towards one another. This is Barry talking. Barry Van Winkle. Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) But then why would Barry be suspicious of him? And what's even more strange on Barry's side, why would Barry continue to come into work after just being attempted murder on? Was it because he was just that obsessed with work? I would mm. I would use any excuse to be like I gotta take a three year long vacation. <laughs> I almost I got know. killed. I am permanently working from home. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> wow. Okay, but like anything else, everyone and their mother started to form their own opinions. Gossip is swirling in the research forest. One scientist said that Liner was quote too much of a buffoon to come up with some plan to knock somebody off. <laughs> God, these people are harsh from the academic world. <laughs> Another said that Barry was incapable of framing anyone. Quote, Barry's so goddamn honest, he wouldn't even steal a lifesaver. Right? Dude, that's how this is how you can tell this from the 90s, because ain't nobody eating lifesavers anymore. <laughs> I know. And if you are, there's no shame in the there's game. No shame. But uh, I have no not shame. had a lifesaver in a long time. Long time. I wonder why they're called yeah. lifesavers. It's so interesting. Oh, oh because... The shape is one. And then I think this is like oh. a little urban legend that goes around with small kids when you eat lifesavers. But they're like, oh, lifesavers are called lifesavers because with the hole in the middle, if it goes down the throat and you choke on it, at least you can still breathe because there's a hole through the middle middle part. So the air flow can continue. Oh. What? So, That's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. But okay, I think I it is thinking- just like a... I think it's just a, a shape. The shape is like, it looks like a life. Like a lifesaver. Saver. Yeah. yeah. Raft thingy. R- raft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Whatever <laughs> anyway. it's called. Tube. No, I was thinking. Tube. Yes. I know in pharmacy school we learned that you, I forget how many, but you can eat like, you're supposed to eat like two to three lifesavers if you are low on blood sugar and it'll raise your blood sugar if you're a diabetic. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like one of the things you can They have. are pretty high in sugar. <laughs> So anyways, that's an aside. So, okay. (laughs) Maybe, added another, Leonard wanted to mess with Barry by tainting his nasal spray, the kind of sick joke only a scientist might think is funny. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. (laughs) I don't think that has anything to do with being science, uh, science driven, but okay. Am I? I mean, why would you use a chemical? I I mean, I don't know. But yeah, it's not funny. That's for sure. So. But there's another theory that no one really wanted to say out loud that Dr. John Leonard might be a little bit of a Dr. Jackal, Dr. Hyde. Hmm. Interesting. There's actually a lot in the original article that I cut out, but Mm. just for like time's sake, I'll condense it here. So for example, he, Dr. Leonard made some people uneasy because he carried around a pistol everywhere he went, including the lab. Oh, Yep. Interesting. I mean, it is Texas. We are in Texas. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) His motto was, quote, don't get mad, get even. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) I think him and Jim from the Rattlesnake episode would be friends. Yeah. Yeah. They they have the same vibration of just like. (laughs) um, Yeah. The chili cook-off energy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) He joked about how he sprinkled radioisotopes in his college roommate's underwear. <laughs> Interesting. But all that aside, John Leonard was almost a genius in many ways. His breakthrough research landed him the executive director position at UT Health Science Center in the first place. He mm-hmm. was a research forest celebrity. <laughs> 
Nice. So there's like a whole backstory to how he created his scientific invention and like his whole breakthrough. It was basically years and years of work and he was just constantly tinkering in his lab. No one knew what he was up to, but he kept promising you like, I'm almost, I'm almost there, almost there. And then he did crack something huge uh, in mm-hmm. the scientific community and won a bunch of awards, many publications, the whole thing. Um mm-hmm. And through that, he got this executive director. He basically got his own lab. So the cryobiology mm-hmm. center was made for him and his research. Nice. So he was the head of the lab. And then, of course, he's executive director position. So to celebrate Leonard's new position, some local executives invited him to reception. And he showed up in overalls. <laughs> <laughs> like just like more okay. like flavor to his yeah. character. Right, right. Yeah. But all in all, he has an incredible career trajectory. Right. The person who got snubbed over this executive director role was a man named Steiner, who was essentially competing with John Leonard to get this role. Okay. Steiner says about Leonard, quote, Leonard's not normal. I think if he was pushed hard enough, he might threaten people. You don't isolate mm-hmm. Leonard. You don't make him feel unwanted. Hmm. People were unsure about Leonard running the research center. He was a poor administrator. For example, the center is staffed by less than six people. Yet, Leonard orders a 12-foot-long conference table. When he sees that no one is using it, he piles his own papers and notes all over the table. (laughs) Uh, mm, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, there was certainly an anxiety on my part that Leonard was running the center, said Davis, who was part of the cryobiology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Livesley would have been better. I don't know who Livesley is. Right. But what could we do? Leonard was the inventor, and he is the reason we were all out there. Just because they excel in their field does not necessarily make them a good leader, you know? Correct. Um, obviously, Correct. yes, you want your leader to excel in a field, but... I'm just thinking I'm having flashbacks to being on a college sports team. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, sure. We had some really, really outstanding fencers. Does that make them necessarily a good leader? No. So that is just what I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I can understand that frustration. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there's an easy way. uh, There's an easy way around that. Like let Leonard be the director or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. have a second in command who isn't that okay i mean isn't that what executive <laughs> uh, yeah yeah isn't that what executive assistants or secretaries that's what for? that position yeah. is for um so anyways he, i don't my, know i'm actually surprised to hear you say that um like people in the athletics department or athletes were not great mm. leaders i feel like those are like mm-hmm. natural born leaders i was actually going to say something mm-hmm. maybe maybe considered controversial but i have found yeah. in my time in healthcare that more often than not in my personal experience healthcare people are not born leaders Mm. in the sense like maybe i will say like physicians are definitely more alpha dog type of personalities so i i can they tend to be leaders for sure but other other aspects like when you look at the way people run a clinic or a certain Mm -hmm. department in a hospital it's it's not run well. It's very, yeah. it can be very disorganized and messy and people don't really know what they're doing. It's very, indi- people are, tend to be individual contributors. Yeah. They don't know how yeah. to manage people. So I feel like that translates in the science world, like the very, very like bent lab bench science world too. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, when I was doing collegiate athletics Mm -hmm. and being on the team, we actually had a – she's still there, but we have a sports psychologist who would work with – all team leaders essentially so if you were selected as some sort of leadership on your team Mm -hmm. we were encouraged to attend like a team leadership course um provided through the athletics department that's cool and granted you know i i want to be very clear Mm -hmm. i did this course for less than a less than a quarter because i just could not um compartmentalize i couldn't add more to my plate at the time i just yeah I'm someone yeah. who cannot have a heavy schedule because I just suck at that. <laughs> yeah. But what I learned in my short time there, mm-hmm. um, at least how she she taught it, she was like, even in sports, she actually was like, she wanted to debunk this thought that there is such thing as a natural born leader. Mm. And like, I under like, we can all agree that maybe there are people out there who have the ability to develop leadership skills faster than others, Mm. or just have, I don't know, maybe protective factors in their life that make them able to become good leaders more quickly or whatever. But she pretty much was just like, she was like, there's no such thing as a natural born leader because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you are always going to learn skills down the line on how to lead. No one is born with these skills. Mm-hmm. You learn them. Fair. And so that's something that I've always kind of held on to. But like I can understand that, that concept of maybe some people have just like the personality to be able to hold on, like create these skills and and put them out effectively faster. Yeah. But anyway, that was just like a... No. a thought yeah no no that's a great Mm -hmm. that's fair that's totally fair i have never thought about it that way yeah um (laughs) so anyways that's little little uh leader leadership psychology or the psychology of leadership i love that um yeah dr lerner needs to take that course (laughs) i know so going back to dr lerner the ut admin hoped that the arrival of Barry would light a fire under lerner's ass to start doing some research you know like his job right bringing grants, et cetera. But it didn't take long for Barry to also start complaining to Davis about Leonard's working style or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, this is coming from Leonard, quote, there was a nickname for Barry in the lab. We called him the exposed nerve. He'd be doing an experiment. And if things would go bad, he'd take his $20 forceps and throw them against the wall. <laughs> oh, so he had a bit of a temper. Seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or, or like a flash temper. Right, right. Okay. Barry is aware and unapologetic about his fiery passion for the sciences. He was Mm. all about the latest science and pushing the envelope when it comes to creating innovative ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. It wasn't long before the dean at HSC decided that Barry should be in charge of the center and not John. Hmm. Okay. Bob Davis notified Leonard that he would no longer be executive director. I believe this is coming from Davis. Yeah. Quote, mm-hmm. when I told John that we had to make a change because no work was getting done, he was shocked, crestfallen. He came mm. back and made some excuses and said he wasn't the only one out there. I said, yeah. What does that you're mean? The one ch- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you like, mean? I th- what? <laughs> I think he means like the reason why he's not no longer executive director is because there was no work getting done. Like he wasn't producing like, mm-hmm. publications and grants, whatever. So Dr. Lerner comes back and says, he makes some excuses and says, I'm not the only one. 
meaning other people are doing the same thing, but right, which is right. probably a pointing to Barry because there's really no one else that works at the center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Davis snaps back with, yeah, but you're the one in charge. Right. So John turns quiet and sullen and he says, I can't believe this is happening. And that was the last time that Davis, who over the years had grown close to Liner, taking him on vacations and inviting him to dinner parties, would hear from him. Mm, wow. Megan, mm. at this point, I'd like to ask, what do you think sure. is going on? And do you think a person is guilty in this scenario? From the immediate information that you've given me, mm. I am like, you know, there Liner needs some form of accountability. This is all a retelling of a story from a retelling of multiple sources. Right. right? Like, right. but based on what you're telling me, I'm just like, yeah, it does kind of sound like he is not willing to hold himself accountable. Mm. Does sound like he is someone who, like I, like I said earlier, maybe is super exceptional in this research and all that. But it doesn't necessarily mean he knows how to run a program successfully. And I think that if it's always a red flag, if someone is being told like, hey, you know, we're not seeing the results that we want to see. And it's cl- cl- things are clearly being mismanaged, aka that 12 foot long conference table, like all <laughs> these, these small things that just like aren't working out. And then for that yeah. person to come back and be defensive. Well, I understand mm-hmm. that is a very natural mm-hmm. thing. But at the same time, I'm like, anyone who is a good leader, in my opinion, is capable of holding themselves accountable. And if he yes. really wanted to, you know, I'm just like, I, I don't know. Some people might disagree with me, but if I thought I was in his position. I'd be like, wow, I've been given this opportunity. And I know I've been given this opportunity because my prior work showed for it. Like, yeah. that's why I got this opportunity. And now it's going to be taken away. Like, I'd be like, hey, give me another chance. Right. Um, uh, let's let me reorganize everything. Um, I, I'll use some help. Um, but, you know, like I, this really means a lot to me and I can make it make a change and a adapt i hear you loud and clear i just feel like that's a very mature thing to handle it yeah unless those conversations have already happened many times mm-hmm. and he still like didn't was like brushing them off right so based on what you're telling me i am like it feels a little bit narcissistic mm-hmm. right his response mm-hmm. of just like uh, you know everyone else isn't getting grants or blah blah right. blah it's really hard and it's really it's really hard in these woods you know what i mean <laughs> like i i um And maybe he really felt genuine about that. But I also feel like, you know, if you show a little bit of ownership, people are always going to be a little more forgiving and willing to give you a second chance. Um, So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, I don't have full thoughts on Barry yet. Sure. Except for his little flash temper. Sure, sure. But yeah. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think maybe it's too early to say like if someone actually did try to kill Barry or not so right. we can continue on and see and also like you said this is the last time he ever talked to Davis right or mm-hmm. his name Davis Davis yep. Davis mm-hmm. I'm just like if if Leonard yeah. is the one who poisoned Van Winkle <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like that's almost kind of a misplaced 
aggression i'm like i mm. would i feel like it'd make more sense to poison davis oh you know God. like if, if you're gonna go that route yeah you know just yeah. kill in this scenario you do kill the messenger <laughs> right exactly please that's not barry's fault yeah. okay i that's interesting. All right, let's let's continue on. So Lily is no longer part of the equation. You f- you feel you have let go of that theory. Oh yeah, I mean she hasn't been brought up in a while, but I I mean now that you brought her up in my head, I'm like maybe it is the secretary. <laughs> but no, I I have removed her from my list of um, potential um, culprits. Okay, so we have removed that thumbtack off the red yarn wall. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 1990, before Barry took over the HSC, the administration gave the Cryobiology Research Center an even bigger surprise. They decided Mm. to shut down the center entirely. Oh, wow. That's really sad. Yeah. So they were going to shut down in August of 1991 and no Mm. longer support Leonard's projects. So Mm. not only was Leonard demoted, the center was shutting down, which was originally made to support and fund his research. And then mm-hmm. Barry gets hired by the pathology department at the HSC Medical School in Houston to make up for the fact that he wouldn't have the chance to be executive director. Mm. Meanwhile, Linner has not found a new job. Okay. Barry was also allowed to take all the cryobiology center's lab equipment originally bought for Linner to start up his own lab. So ultimately, you would think that this would be the straw that broke the camel's back. But Leonard shows no signs of distress. He keeps showing up for work. And him and Barry even went to a concert together. (laughs) So, wow. I I am. Yeah, I am surprised he's continuing to show up. Because, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that you're right. Like, to me, I'm like to have your whole program defunded, essentially, your lab shut down, all that. Um, that would be really hard. Yeah. And I would imagine the temptation to try to look for work at a totally different place. But I don't know. People choose what they choose. And if it was easier for him to stay, then that's fine. But yeah, that is interesting that he continued to show up. Yeah. And and mind you guys, so this is all this happening, him showing up to work, him and Barry going to this concert together. This is all pre-Afrin affair, pre-Afrin poisoning. Okay. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Pre. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Pre. Got pre, it. Pre. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I never once saw any disagreement between them, said Leonard's friend, Frank Gibson, a life cell engineer. Whenever I saw mm-hmm. them together, John was always acting very friendly to Barry. There was only one incident where Leonard acted out of character. Leonard's lab assistant, Donna, remembered an instance that happened one month before the Afrin affair. Leonard discovered that someone from the next office had changed the adjustments of his electron microscope. He Mm. angrily told her to write a memo to the offending party. She replied that the memo was his job. Suddenly, Leonard pulled a pistol out of his desk drawer, held it up in the air, and said, this is my memo. Soon after, Donna quit her job and opened Nail Boutique. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be like, hell no. Never again. I'm going to have some fool of a man Uh, wave his gun at me because he couldn't write his own memo. Mm, You go, Donna. Go, Donna. Go. But hold your horses because there is dispute. (laughs) There's dispute over this gun story. An engineer who was there that day says Donna, quote, blew it all out of proportion. And Leonard himself says he can't remember the event ever happening. Investigators recall her saying that she had been, quote, scared of Leonard, though. 
So it's like, like he said, she said, but you know, yeah, I don't know. I, it is, it is a very extreme action for him to like be brandishing a firearm at an employee. Right. 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 But also like, why would you make that up? I guess. Right. But also it's how is, if he took out his weapon, how is he Mm -hmm. taking it out? You know what I mean? Like, is it a hand on the butt Mm. with hand near trigger and waving it high in the air with the you know barrel of the gun towards the ceiling yeah he's waving it like a cowboy yeah um not that cowboys would actually do that i'm that this is very very uh you know caricature (laughs) energy yeah or is he like did he just lift his shirt up and show his gun in his Mm. holster and is like this is my memo here right you know like it's still a threatening thing but it's not as severe as actually pulling the weapon out um sure. there's so many different interpretations and yeah i can see how if maybe a weapon was just seen someone could take that and be like oh he waved it around he at me but who knows yeah who knows right right that is interesting i hate that that is a murky part of the story though me too I hate when people lie <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is like i don't okay mm-hmm. i'm assuming whenever this happened Donna and Leonard must have been in an enclosed space, like in like their own yeah. lab offices. So whoever this right. engineer is, he might have been in the building that day, but I doubt he was right. like in the actual lab to like see right. and witness like, what did happened. Did he witness it himself? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a little bit uncredible on his behalf in my eyes for him to be like, oh, she blew out of proportion, you know? Yeah. We also don't know the relationship between this engineer and Dr. Leonard, you know? Right. So right. there might be, there's a lot that we just don't, no, I'm not saying which one, which way or the other, but yeah, unfortunately yeah. it is a little more murky. Yeah. They're all unreliable narrators. That's all. Correct. Yeah. So when the Afrin affair goes down, the case was referred to two burly detectives from the Montgomery County Sheriff's Department in nearby Conroe. Sergeant mm-hmm. Tracy Peterson and Detective David Moore are nothing like research scientists. Both are mm-hmm. former high school football players in their early thirties. Very easy going guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, kidding, case, the, <laughs> the case based entirely on circumstantial evidence didn't look promising it was going to be difficult for a prosecutor to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Leonard had taken any steps at all to carry out mm-hmm. this crime mm-hmm. Leonard did order the beta propiolactone the chemical that found its way into Barry's nasal spray but mm. that in itself does not make him a criminal mm-hmm because the two detectives could barely spell the names of the chemicals in Leonard's lab, let alone pronounce them, they took to calling mm. them chemical number one and chemical number two. <laughs> God damn. Okay. okay. Fine. <laughs> I guess if it gets the, the work done faster, that's fine. Right, right. Agreed. Agreed. So on a whim, Peterson calls local FBI agent Jerry Price to see what he might know about mm-hmm. to see what he might know about the chemicals that Barry had found. And Price mm. said he would do some checking. Mm-hmm. That very afternoon, Price calls back and his voice sounds tense. He said the FBI was sending down two special agents, both PhDs from its scientific analysis unit in Washington, D.C. And Price mm. asked Peterson to get a search warrant for the cryobiology center and for Leonard's home. Mm. The FBI's response made Peterson and Moore wonder whether John Leonard could be one of those mad scientists that they had seen in movies. Quote, the FBI done scared me bad about those toxins. Real bad, recalled Peterson. Okay. <laughs> I think this should be like a movie, honestly. Yeah, it should. It should. I, yes. This, yes. 
it should. But also I think what is making me laugh is I think because of the era that this took place, like early 90s, you know, there is this weird stereotype around scientists in (laughs) entertainment, you know, you have back to the well, I don't know if Back to the Future came out just at this time, you know, but there's that. that, that stereotype of like, oh scientists who work around chemicals specifically could have the potential to misuse them mm-hmm. in ways that are uh, non-ethical and all that, which like, yeah, okay, that can happen. But right. I think that was definitely blown up proportion during this time. And I think it's funny that <laughs> it, wait, is Peterson the FBI agent or he's one of the detectives, detectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's just silly. It's silly stuff. It's silly. And, and Peterson goes on to say, quote, the FBI told us those chemicals that Leonard had were the poisons that assassins use like the damn KGB. I thought, holy shit, I don't want to go into this lab. <laughs> I'm like, man, these people are like straightforward and simple to the yeah. point. I get it. I wouldn't want to go into that right. lab either. Right. Yeah, that's a funny thing because earlier in the story, you talk about how um, Van Winkle found those certain toxins in the fridge, like totally not properly stored and yeah. all that, which is super scary. It mm-hmm. is super scary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, this is the... I cannot really compare, but when I think about where I work now and hopefully most labs that do handle above BSL three toxins or whatever, um, you know, I'm, I am just like all the protocols are in place that like you would not be harmed. Like, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, I think it was a weird time. I suppose it's a weird time. And I guess I get their reaction because this was found yes you're right everything should be stored properly but clearly in this scenario it wasn't like he right it was in someone's regular you know medications it was on the telephone it was on the doorknob it was basically mishandled in a way that it could potentially kill someone or really harm somebody at the minimum right right right. so so i get it because they don't really know what they're working with so when you're out of when you're out of your depth in a way where that's not your subject matter expertise, mm-hmm. it can be threatening. It can feel threatening. Yeah, that threatening. could be something that you're like, it's super foreign to you and you're just like right. not sure what you're going to walk into. Yeah. Correct. Fair enough. Fair enough. So mm-hmm. in the small hours of April, not the small, in the wee hours of April 30th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Potato, potato. <laughs> potato. In the wee hours of April 30th, FBI agents, Montgomery County Sheriff's officers, and Barry, I don't know why Barry was there. Hmm, <laughs> they raid, interesting, yes. They go together to raid the research forest. Is he in on it? We don't know. Right. And they enter the offices of the Cryobiology Center. He may have just been there to op- like open the door. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The officers find the chemicals. They also find the Handbook of Toxicology, which Linner had checked out of the UT Health Science Center library. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. It's the handle of toxicology. I don't think that's a big deal. Mm. Anyways, when the agents and deputies arrive at Linner's home, it's at 2.30 a.m. in the morning, yet the lights were still on. Linner is a night owl, so he is still up watching television. Right. As they troop inside, Linner had a tastefully designed home with Salvador Dali prints on the wall. But they also see a machine gun lying on the kitchen floor. Okay. Linner tells them to remain calm. It's only a squirt gun that he used to shoot at his cats when they jump on the kitchen counter. Okay. <laughs> Were they able to test that theory? I'm sure you can tell the difference between a real machine gun and a squirt gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It was not. It was not a real gun. Um, okay. 
The raid took a darker turn, though, when the officers found two U.S. Marine manuals on chemical warfare hidden in a back closet. The manuals describe such things as chalking agents, hydrogen cyanide, and mustard gas, which beta-propylactone is usually mixed with. Right. Then, in Leonard's downstairs office, the investigators found a photocopy chapter from a book describing some of the country's most infamous murders. This is this next sentence is a trigger warning. This particular chapter concerned Herman Webster Mudgett, a mass murderer from the 19th century who had lured women to his home, used chloroform, chloroform to knock them out, carried them down to his basement, and dismembered them. Mm. Hmm. I was as I was reading that sentence for the research, I was like, "Oh, this would be a good next story." Until I read the dismembered part, then I was like, "I'm not interested." <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> As the search continued, one FBI agent looked through Leonard's briefcase, pulled out and pulled out a sheet of paper. On mm. it, in Leonard's scrawly handwriting, was some kind of strange recipe that included items like narrow mouth quart sized jars, greasy beef, and five tablespoons of soil. Hmm. This strange ingredient list, the FBI agent slowly realized, was a formula for botulinum. Okay. All right. If Leonard had, had needed botulinum, which we all know is mm-hmm. one of the deadliest toxins on planet Earth, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Leonard had needed botulinum for some kind of research project, he could have just ordered that from a chemical right. company and have it sent to his lab. So why did he need to grow this on his own? Right. Leonard is arrested and taken to the Montgomery County Jail, where Detective Moore tries to interview him. Quote, mm-hmm. it was the worst feeling I ever had, says Moore. I'd asked Leonard a question about why he needed tetrodotoxin, and he talked for 30 minutes, and I'd just sit there. I couldn't come mm. back and tell him that he was a liar because I couldn't even spell the name of the damn chemical. So mm. they were really feeling out of their depth with this one. So, like, they would ask him why you have tetrodotoxin in your lab or just present in general. And then he would Mm -hmm. explain it to them. But then they'd be like, we don't understand what you're saying. Therefore, we're not going to release you. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Because he would be like, oh, I'm using it for this chemical reaction. And it's used for in in this, like, uh, process. And they're like, we don't know what that means. And we can't verify that. So they needed a specialist with them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I think they did have specialists. I know they had those FBI agents who are PhDs, but these mm-hmm. are the detectives that are now interviewing. So gotcha, gotcha. Until they got those people in there, they they held yeah. on to him. Yeah. At this point, headlines are starting to roll out, and Leonard's lawyer says, "Quote: He's a fallen prey. This is just all a fallen prey to a hysteria that is dangerous simply because he knows more than other people about chemistry." It might be true because John Leonard had an explanation for all those how to kill books and chemicals and the botulinum formula. At a gun show, he said he had traded some gun parts for $75 and a canvas bag of books, uh, which are the books that Barry had found, the Poisoner's Handbook and The Silent Mm. Death were in there. But he never read them and he didn't purchase the bag knowing that they were in there is what he says. Interesting. Okay. When asked about... Uh, how Barry found the hazard sheets for the toxic chemicals in the bag. He said Barry was lying. They were never in there, said Leonard. Hmm. Leonard said the biography of the mass murderer found in his home was photocopied because the man happened to be an ancestor of his wife, Linda, who was curious about him. The chemical warfare manuals belonged to her son from a previous marriage, a Marine who served in Desert Storm with a chemical warfare unit. Both Linda mm. Linner and a Marine spokesperson confirm Linner's accounts. Mm. 
the botulinum formula in his briefcase, he says that was part of a scientific project he was doing at home. He wanted to know how plants Mm. take in water and other nutrients from the soil. And since botulinum exists in the soil, he wanted to make sure he wanted to make some to see its effect. He copied Mm. the formula, he says, from a book he read at the Health Science Center library. Mm. And lastly, the two toxins in his lab, the tetrodotoxin and DFP, he says he had ordered them for a series of experiments on certain proteins in cells. When the police Mm. asked for lab reports involving the chemicals, he told them that he hadn't yet begun the experiments. Mm. A senior scientist from the medical school's toxicology department said Leonard's explanation, quote, sounds perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. And as for the beta propiolactone, Leonard says he was just beginning to use it in experiments, a fact he had pointed out earlier to investigators. So Mm. he is just lining it up with these answers. So whether or not they're strong answers i mm-hmm. don't know but he has answers right and also all the evidence is circumstantial correct yeah. both ways so, right so yeah yeah mm-hmm. so it's like me who you know always is like innocent until proven guilty right now i'm like okay it sounds good sounds yeah. like it's fine like i would believe him in this capacity in this right. moment and be like okay all right you have your answers yeah cannot prove anything yet exactly okay. correct i agree though Linner had plenty of reasons to have beef with barry much of the case against Linner was weak montgomery mm-hmm. county officers peterson and moore theorized that Linner wanted van winkle dead so he could have a chance at that job in the pathology depart- department at the medical school hmm. the truth was Linner didn't wish to continue working there at all he had already begun looking at other jobs hmm. at the same time Linner and his attorney's theory that barry was trying to frame Linner was also full of holes not even hmm. the lawyer could suggest a motive for why van winkle would want to frame Linner and in the process hmm. put himself at risk hmm. as of mid-july the montgomery county district attorney had not taken the case to the grand jury for an indictment against Linner. just a lot of finger pointing over who spiked the afrin hmm we may never know whether Leonard is a killer or just a misguided eccentric. And that is that is it. That's the story. Yeah. That's the story. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. That's really tough. There's a part of me that's like, I mean, it, what if it's just a, on the most innocent side of the scale where Leonard is right. the one who's spiked the Afrin? I'm like, what if everything he said in terms of why he has these textbooks and why he has botulinum, why he's interested in growing botulinum and he has the other toxins in the lab and all that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that what he responded is all true. He's just Mm -hmm. like, listen, I'm trying to leave this lab. I became interested in these things as like a side project for myself. And as I'm leaving, I might as well the last good resources in the lab just to, you know, just to hold these things for like, I can see that mentality. And then on, uh, you know, on the side where maybe he is the perp with spiking that afrin it i'm not saying it's right but i'm like maybe he was just like this is just like my prank that you had mentioned a long time ago right. like is it a nasty prank yes it's yeah. you know it's not it's not great but i can see him 
potentially not wanting to cause such extreme harm to a point where he's trying to threaten someone with um, extreme, extreme toxins yeah. like tetrodotoxin and all that Correct. stuff. Um, so maybe I'm like, maybe he was just like, uh, you know, as a side project, I'm studying these toxins. And I also made like this little whatever thing that causes nose cancer. <laughs> Um, but that, that is to say, so like, I'm like, uh, yeah, like he, maybe he could have done it, yeah. but, but them trying to group all these things into his ill intention might not be the case, you right. know, might not be real or he didn't do it at all. I don't, yeah. Like, I don't know what Van Winkle would get out of this by framing no. him anyway because he's already lost his job he already lost his program like and he has another job lined up like there's there's no there's no he never got any kind of short end of the stick the only person who got the short end of the stick here is Leonard like uh of course like I guess Barry got snubbed out of the director position but he got a brand new job in the medical center which is what he wanted so I didn't get to add this to the story but Linner was the reason why uh, Davis even decided to put uh, Barry up for the position was was yeah. because Barry was very vocal. He was like, we shouldn't be out in the forest. Like whose dumbass idea was to put us all the way out in the forest away from the medical center. He's like, right. we're so far away from the main right. campus. So right. we're away from all the innovation, the latest mm-hmm. technologies. Like we should be in conjunction, like working together in collaboration, et cetera. So, he was like, I think we should move the campus. Like we should move the research center that's either in the medical center or closer to it. So he was like yeah. really like being a spearhead. He was in, he was having initiative, which Leonard was not. <clears throat> right, so, right. Ha- being in the medical center, having this job is exactly what he wanted at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and part of me is like, I would say that Barry's, you know, if he was a vindictive person, his satisfaction mm-hmm. would be coming from the fact that Linner was removed as director of the program. Correct. The, you know what I mean? So like, why would he need to do more? I agree. And yeah, I genuinely believe that there was no beef between them on Barry's end. Like from his perspective, yeah. I think he genuinely felt like we're friends. Like I, I have no ill will. Like they are going to concerts together, et cetera. And on, on, like further from Barry's perspective, he's seeing Dr. Lerner show up to work. He's not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Things things are business as usual, even after yeah. the announcement that he's getting stepped down as the director. So, but bottom line is this didn't just magically happen. There is no small science ghost in the lab. Right. The, right. Someone actually did this because it's, right. if I would say like, if it was just in the Afrin bottle, I would still think someone did it, but it's just like it's like a weird coincidence. Like maybe he accidentally mm-hmm. like tipped something into the bottle. I don't know how that would even happen, mm-hmm. but maybe it was right. like some weird coincidence or accident. But the fact mm-hmm. that it was also on the telephone, it was also on the doorknob to his lab is yeah. clearly targeted. And that doesn't just happen. Someone has to yeah. put it there. Yeah. So whether or not it's Dr. Linner or someone else, someone is targeting uh, Dr. Barry Van Winkle. Yeah. And I will say, the last thing I'll say is, mm-hmm. this case happened in 1991. And mm-hmm. I, when I was doing the research on this story, I tried to find like an updated account of what was going on. Mm-hmm. If they ever did find out who did it, maybe like, you know, lots of time has passed. Like maybe they find out nothing. There's actually no stories. There was one story 
that was like in the last two or three years or so, but it was just another retelling mm-hmm. of what already happened. Mm-hmm. We have all of the other articles are from 1991 and there's nothing f- after that further. Yeah. Like it just, the story just died. It just once, dies. Like, yeah. Okay. Did anything happen to Dr. Van Winkle in terms of his health after no. the exposure to, okay. No, thankfully the, not. Whatever that I, it's okay. luckily, I don't know if it's lucky, but it was one of those things where he squirted the Afrin and as soon as it touched his nose, he pulled it out type of thing. Yeah. You know, like it was an yeah, yeah. immediate burning sensation and he quickly went to go clear his nose, which was like the right thing that he did. So I think he right. really minimized the damage there. But he he does say like because the the beta propiolactone is a cancer is known to be a cancer causing agent, he thought this yeah. was a very even more so of a sickening joke or someone's idea of a sickening joke. And he felt right. it was even more targeted to him because right. his wife, Jeannie McMillan, who we know is like, who's a star mm-hmm. in that power couple, she was diagnosed with a, a severe breast cancer, I believe the year prior. Hmm. And, and she was doing chemotherapy. And that was like a very uh, big thing that they were going through that was right. well known. So he felt right. that was even more targeted that someone, he felt like someone was trying to give him cancer or like whatever right, your mind right. thinks of the worst things right yeah so knowing yeah. what it's used for he was like what the hell you know so interesting <laughs> yeah hmm yeah I, I mean like part of me is like oh what if it came to light like if you did more not more research i know you did plenty of research but i'm like what if in a, a obscure article it came to light that like, right genie and dr Leonard had some sort of relationship maybe not intimate but maybe they had like a, t- a bond of some sort and dr Leonard is like oh, i need to teach dr van winkle a lesson of how to be empathetic towards his wife who has cancer oh my god <laughs> or something oh, I know, thought, some nonsense like that i thought you were gonna say Jeannie yeah. mcmillan did it uh <laughs> oh that that also came to my brain but i felt like i feel like that's too far of a stretch yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. or i mean why not like why would she need to use the middleman of dr Linner if she could have just been like i want to teach my husband how to be more empathetic right. towards my cancer right <laughs> yeah uh, but who knows you bring up a good point megan <clears throat> mm-hmm. i may have missed an article I, I totally could have so poison pals if you listen to this episode and you do the research and you find an updated article that has more answers than what i have for you today please do share that with us. I'm I'm actually very very interested to know if they yeah. ever solved this case or not. Yeah. I I kind of want to end like for me I'm going to end on <laughs> I'm going to put my final answer on what who what I think okay. happened. <clears throat> sure. I am going to put it on <laughs> Dr. Linner. I yeah. I think that he would make the most sense. But to it, it's kind of what I said earlier. Yes, it obviously sp- spiking the afrin what is it called with beta propylaxin beta propio propiolactone propiolactin beta propiolactone obviously there's a lot of ill intent there like that is a nasty thing to do but part of me is like given his character history and his quirkiness maybe and despite and despite his brilliance maybe he was like this is not that big of a deal. It's just like a little ha ha like I don't know. Um, So I can see him I can see him doing that with not knowing the severity, which seems really probably not the case, but that's what I think. I don't think like, I don't know. I feel like he wasn't trying to kill Dr. Van Winkle, but maybe just like being like, I'm just going to fuck around when in his office, you I, know? <laughs> I totally agree. And actually I think mm-hmm. I, 
so putting in my answer, I also think is Dr. John Linner. And, and for a similar reason that for everything that you said, but also to elaborate on one of your points, it is easy to kill someone. I know this is getting dark. <laughs> I think it's easy to <laughs> kill someone, especially with a toxin or chemical, especially when you are, when that's your field, you're, you're a chemist. Yeah. But it takes a certain kind of skill to know exactly which chemical to use to maybe disarm your opponent, but not kill them mm-hmm. where you would get in trouble and go to jail type of thing. And yeah. they make that note, like the the analysts of the story make a note that beta propylactone is probably the one thing in that lab that was guaranteed to not kill mm. uh, Dr. Van Winkle, Dr. Barry Van right. Winkle. So that right. to me feels very intentional, methodical. Someone really mm. thought that out of what I'm going to choose. And it almost seems like I don't want to kill this person. I just want to kind of like take them down a notch because mm. they are riding a huge high that feels like it should be mine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Before I leave. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I feel that. Yeah, I think I think that could very well be the case too. But yeah, like I think that if the three main suspects are Van Winkle, Leonard, or the secretary, Lily, who is totally out of the picture, it feels most likely that it was Leonard. Yeah. But we have no proof. We have no proof. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll actually see if I can do a little more digging. I didn't see anything on my first, like, initial search, mm-hmm. but I'll do another search because I'm extremely curious to know the answer yeah. if there is one. Yeah, let us know who you think it is, Poison Pals. <laughs> Don't let our takes influence yes. your decision. <laughs> yes. Correct. Uh, it could be the small little yeah. science ghost boy. So we don't know. I know. Yeah. Science ghost. Science ghost. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Nice job, Harini. This Thanks. was such a fun episode. Um, lots of laughs. Lots of giggles. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We're going into our antidotes? Yeah, let's go into our antidotes. Okay. My antidote is that I had a wonderful, very full and active weekend. Sometimes Mm. I have weekends that just feel like I'm at home the whole time, which is totally okay. But sometimes I'll get restless and I'm just grateful that I do have friends in the area who are willing to go out (laughs) and stay out late. And I I, I think what I also appreciate is that with these friends we're all in the same boat of like listen if you're tired just let us know you know like just very much communicate it yeah. there you know if you want to go home early we go home early Aww. all that stuff but then um it's like always reciprocated of like okay if if i'm feeling like i'm tired mm. but like you guys want to rally you know just encourage me yeah. like, help me rally help me rally. so um um it's like i feel like it's a very healthy going out no one feels pressured yeah. to do anything we're always checking in on each other Love um it. so i just had a very fun filled weekend Love um it. which i feel like i haven't had in a moment because mm-hmm. i've been traveling a lot this yeah. month so that's that's my antidote i just feel okay. like my my summer is starting to take off yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. It's officially summer, yeah. it feels like. I love that, Megan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, my antidote, I realized it, was like, it feels like a while since Hawaii, but my antidote is definitely my trip to Maui recently. That was yes. super fun. Long overdue vacation where I just don't do anything. So it was really nice. Right. I think the highlight of that trip, though, was I was telling Megan this. I think we actually snorkeled at the same exact location when yes. we both went to Maui, which yes. is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't feel your presence there but now i will <laughs> it's okay. thinking back <laughs> um, it's all good 
But uh, it was amazing because I, when I was snorkeling, there were so many sea turtles. There was a whole family. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Megan, there was this daddy sea turtle who was, <laughs> there's a daddy sea turtle who was so big. It was like as big as they've like all stretched out. And I was just like, whoa. It, it's just like, yeah. it's quite magnificent to see those types of animals so up close like it's not in Mm -hmm. a zoo it's not anything like it's very like raw and real in front of you it's really beautiful to see yeah Yeah. I'm so glad you got to see them because they are so majestic and I remember watching on your Instagram story you're taking video of them above water because they're so shallow I was so impressed at how shallow they came and clearly there's like other people in the cove who are kind of like watching or trying to get close but not touching and I love Mm -hmm. the part where there's some random you know he looks like it's a father and there's like kid like his kid or somebody in the background yeah and the sea turtle as you're filming it it's fin like comes up and bumps the dad's like calf or ankle and you hear a kid's voice in the background be like you touched it you touched it you're not supposed to do that and (laughs) the dad immediately becomes defensive he's like "Uh uh-uh it touched me I didn't touch it (laughs) I was laughing so so hard I didn't realize that was in the video but I do remember I remember laughing in real time when that was happening the the dad like looked at everyone's like I didn't touch it (laughs) No, I know. know. It's true because he he was just like standing in one place and it's the turtle that's floating, you know, towards him. Totally. Bumps him a little. Um, I'm sure the father had such a such a like a moment of like magic when it touched him. I know. I wonder what that felt like. The reason why that's funny is because that dad was like being very like kids don't touch the like back. Right. Right. Like don't. You know. Right. Which he should. He should. So it, it was just like fun for the kids to be like you're not supposed to touch it <laughs> exactly like when it's clearly a flawed argument right, right? yeah it's, he's not actively touching it yeah that was, that was a that was a funny thing that you caught in that video yeah so yeah. really great trip all around i'm excited so right on or oh, i was I'm glad excited. you got to go yeah <laughs> I love it there. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Yes. Nice job, Harini, on this wonderful story. Thank you. Um, Let's go ahead and take it away. Mm, Okay. Don't risk it for that mm, secret science ghost biscuit. (laughs) Because it just might try to wipe you with acid. (laughs) Yep. All right, guys. Love it. Thanks so much. All right. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bye.